coming. Uh, today I want you to see Christmas as it really is. Uh, Floor read the Christmas story to us, but I want to read one verse in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 7, and then talk about three things that we find in a nativity scene. Uh, Luke, chapter 2, verse 7 says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the reading and now the preaching of your word. Open our hearts to your spirit and allow the word of God to change our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we have seen nativity scenes all of our lives. Uh, I can remember growing up in Midland, Texas, and Dad would drive us through town every Christmas and, and would always pick those houses that had the nativity scene out front. There's a lot of churches around town who have live nativity scenes, and, and we've seen them all of our lives. This morning, I would like for us to spend just some unrushed moments looking at something that is very familiar to all of us, and that is the Christmas scene. Today I'd like for you to notice a couple of the particulars that make up a nativity scene. Particulars that sometimes get overlooked. For example, use your own built-in zoom lens system and focus just for a moment on that star that is above the stable. I believe the star represents God's roadmap for those who are seeking after Him. The Bible tells us that God commandeered. That is, God commissioned a special star to serve as a, a kind of travel guide for a group of men from the east who had developed an interest in finding this Christmas child. Not only did that star lead these easterners to Jerusalem but then on to Bethlehem. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, it tells us that the star led the wise men to the exact location of Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus. And when they finally located him, the scriptures tell us that these wise men from the east fell down on their knees and worshipped baby Jesus, giving him costly gifts. The Bible states that the wise men rejoiced over the fact that God had provided for them a remarkably accurate roadmap. They knew in their hearts they would never have been able to find the Christ child without the star, the Christmas star, God's gift of direction, God's travel guide for those who are seeking Him. Look at that star again. Look at it as a symbol of the fact that God always provides roadmaps and travel guides to those who are earnestly seeking after Him. That is a truth, my friends. Throughout history, God has seen to it that those who diligently seek after Christ find Him. Let me say it like this. God makes himself available to those of us who are seeking him. Many of us in this place are, are born-again Christians. Most of you are dedicated Christians. All of us who are Christians can look back to a time when God got our attention and started working inside of us. And, and he provided someone to be a travel guide that led us to Christ. I don't know who it was for you. Maybe it was your dad or your mom 
Maybe it was a, a guy at work or, or, or a schoolmate or a neighbor or a close friend. It could have even been a teacher or a pastor. But all of us who are Christians can retrace our steps. We can retrace our spiritual journeys and say, without that person, without that pastor or that teacher or that friend or that parent, I doubt I would have ever come to faith in Christ. I don't think I would have ever found Jesus as my Savior had it not been for that person. God had someone cross our path, someone whose light was bright enough and whose love was real and whose faith was strong and compelling that we found ourselves trusting that earthbound travel guide to lead us to Jesus Christ. Really thinking about that, what, what would some of our lives be like today? What in the world would we be? Where would we be? What would we be doing had it not been for that earthbound star that God used as a road map in our lives? Believers, today would be a great day to, to just stop and thank God for the gift of travel guides. In fact, why don't you right now, in your mind, take a moment and put a name to that star or those stars that God used to lead you from a life of sin to faith in Jesus Christ. Boy, it's not hard for me. Two of them are sitting right here, my mom and my dad. And I'm thinking back to a preacher that, uh, man, he loved me. He was, he, was a, he was a preacher that was hard, and sometimes he, he was stern, and he could be mean, and he preached for an hour and a half every Sunday morning. No lie, an hour and a half. And if you got up and walked out in his sermon, he would call you down and tell you to sit back down. He wasn't finished. Jason sat back down. But it, 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 Brother Zellers did it a lot sterner than that. Jason, sit down! Not I mean, you, you were scared to death. But you know, thank you, buddy. Thanks, thanks for being scared, man. And, uh, but he loved the Lord and he loved me. And I can remember the Sunday night he preached on hell. And I was afraid to go there. And so I went to the altar and E. e. Zellers, my, my pastor, led me to faith in Jesus Christ. He was one of those stars, one of those travel guides. We all have them. Remember this if you're a Christian here today. God needs you to be a guiding star to somebody else. Let me say it like this. God is calling you to be a star. Huh? That's pretty cool. God is calling you to be a star. Who can you lead to Christ this new year? Who has God placed in your path right now that needs to know Him as their Savior? You are to be their travel guide, leading them to Jesus. I'm also aware of the fact that some of you are here today and you're just like the wise men that we read about in the Bible. You're still searching and seeking. Chances are that God has already put a travel guide in your life. It, it may very well even be the person who has invited you to church today. And my simple prayer for you is that you see the light and that you trust Jesus today for salvation. Look again at the, at the scene and, and refocus your Zoom system to the wooden stable itself. The stable God sent Jesus to live in the real world. That rough sawn hut that stable makers today 
looked so quaint. And I, but I can assure you, back in Jesus' day, that stable was anything but quaint. It was just like a, another thousand other stables crowded with smelly animals, dark and damp and rodent-infested. It was an all-around rotten place to birth a baby. Which makes a thinking person ask, if God could commandeer a star to serve as a travel guide, why couldn't God commandeer a suite at the Bethlehem Hilton? Or at least a room at the Holiday Inn Express? I mean, thinking about it, getting a star to do what that star did is a much bigger feat than a room would be. And the answer is, God could have. But he deliberately chose not to. God chose the stable for his son to be born in, I think, for a very important reason. You see, when God sent his only son to live on this earth, he made a strategic decision not to shelter him from the harsh realities of life. God had no intention of shielding his son by having him born into the make-believe world of the rich and famous. God wanted his son to experience life in all of its blue-collared boldness. Jesus' first breath of air burned with the odor of animal urine. The first sound his little ears heard were the grunts of livestock. Jesus' first outfit was made of rags. From day one, God the Father determined not to shelter His Son from the rude, crude realities of life on planet earth. And you may wonder why. I mean, why would God the Father do that to his son? Well, because insulated aristocrats can't relate to what you and I go through every day. I mean, they don't live where we live. They don't eat what we eat. They, they don't work like we have to work. And they don't suffer the same ways you and I have to suffer. So take a good look at the stable again, friends. The stable is a permanent symbol of the fact that God sent Jesus to live in the real world. Jesus was given no aristocratic advantage. He had humbler beginnings than any of us. He was born into a real family. He lived in a real neighborhood. He worked a construction job for the first 30 years of his life. He had real friends. He suffered hardship like the rest of us. And he died a cruel death on the cross for a crime he didn't even commit. So when the Bible urges people who are going through disappointment and pain to pour their hearts out to our now ascended Savior... We Christians can do so with absolute assurance that Jesus understands exactly what we are going through because he's been here. Life without advantage, shortage, poverty, discrimination, oppression. Have you ever considered the fact that Jesus was a refugee before his first birthday? Rejection? He knew it. Ridicule, it was a part of his everyday life. 
abandonment. He fell fit from his closest friends in the hour of his greatest need. Temptation from the devil. He battled it out with the devil on Satan's own turf. Death of a loved one multiple times. Physical pain more than you and I will ever experience. Friends, whatever you experience in this life that drives you to within an inch of your breaking point, which may be where some of you are today, Whatever you experience that hurts you so deeply that you want to cry out, I can't go on. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Just look at the stable and be reminded this Christmas that Jesus understands. He's been there. He can identify with you no matter what you're going through. And you matter to Him. A whole lot more than you know. Can you see how important the stable is? It symbolizes the unsheltered life of Jesus. It stands as a permanent monument to his ability to identify and sympathize with whatever you're going through. And that's exactly what the Word of God says. The book of Hebrews tells us, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with what we're going through. He understands. He knows. He knows what you're feeling right now. He knows the deepest hurt in your heart that you've never told anybody about. He knows what keeps you up at night. He knows what you're thinking about right now that's bothering you. He knows. He understands. And he can do something about it. He has the answer. The fact is, if if you want that in your life, you've got to invite him in. You must trust him. And that kind of brings me to that third part of this nativity scene. You've seen the star. You've seen the stable. Now refocus and zero in on the manger. Because the manger talks about something ordinary becoming extraordinary. So when you look at that manger, don't think of it as a first century bassinet because it was a far cry from that. Uh, It was nothing more than a feeding trough for cattle. Just a crudely constructed piece of farm furniture. Ordinary in every way. In fact, if you think about it, the only reason we Westerners are familiar with the term manger is because of one little clip in the scripture when it says God's son was laid in one. Apart from that, we wouldn't have a clue as to what a manger was. But because God's son was laid in a manger, look what has happened to what was an ordinary piece of farm furniture. All of a sudden, it has a new dignity. It has become a household word. The ordinary becomes extraordinary. A feeding trough for cattle becomes the cradle of a king. That's quite a transformation. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) Look at the manger, friends. It really is a symbol of what can happen to an ordinary man or woman when Jesus Christ moves inside of their life. It's a symbol of what has happened to thousands of people around this world and in our church. Ordinary people 
just average, run-of-the-mill people right here in the River Valley. People like you and me working and thinking and acting and relating people until one day these ordinary people saw themselves for who they really were. Lawbreakers in God's eyes. Maybe for the first time they saw themselves as sinners. Moral failures. And they did not hide from that truth. They didn't tell themselves lies about themselves. These ordinary people came to realize that they could not change their past record and they probably were not going to change their future conduct. And something clicked on the inside and they realized for the first time that on judgment day when they stood before God, they would be guilty. And so what did these ordinary people do? Well, they just fell on their knees. First of all, they fell on their knees in repentance. Just ordinary people like you and me saying, Oh God, I I see who I am. I see who you are, that you're holy and I'm not and I've fallen short. And Lord, I repent. I repent. Forgive me of my sins. Secondly, they fell on their knees and they cried out for grace. Grace that only God can give through His Son, the Christmas child who was born to die for the sins of the world. Friend, what you need today more than anything else is that abundant free grace of God. That grace that that gives you what you don't deserve. (laughs) What we deserve is death and hell. Grace makes it available for us to receive pardon and forgiveness. And so here's just a lot of ordinary people who who realize they are sinners and they fall on their knees seeking God's forgiveness, asking for God's grace. And thirdly, they fall on their knees in worship to Christ when they realize that salvation has been granted and forgiveness has been afforded them. They are now forgiven and adopted and brought into the family of God as sons and daughters. Their life has been transformed. The Bible says we are born again. We are made brand new. All the old things are in the past and everything is now new. That is cause for rejoicing. That is cause for worship You see, when Jesus Christ takes up residency by His Spirit in an ordinary life, I can assure you, the ordinary gives way to the extraordinary. Just as a feed trough becomes a king's cradle, a very average man or woman becomes exceptional when Jesus Christ moves in your life. You see, God does to humans what Jesus did to that manger. He makes something that was ordinary, extraordinary. And my question this morning to you is simply this. Will you allow Jesus to bring that change in your life if you haven't allowed him to do so yet? He wants to change you. He wants to make life worth living for you. And he can. He's the only one who can. So today, would you come and trust Him as your Lord and Savior? If you're here today and you're a Christian, I can't think of a better Sunday out of the 52 that we come here to come to the altar and thank God for His salvation, His gift to mankind. And while you're here thanking Him for that, thank Him for the star that led you to Christ, the travel guide who led you to the Lord. 
and make a commitment at the altar this morning that this new year in 2013, you're going to be a travel guide for someone else. And by the way, if you're here today and things aren't well with you, you've got all kinds of problems and issues and you don't know how you're going to make it, understand the one who was born in that stable knows what you're going through. And today he can help you because he's God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak right now as only you can. I pray, dear Jesus, that as your Holy Spirit works in our hearts, my friends who are here who need to come and, and give their life to you would do so. Lord, I believe there's a person here today that needs to come and, and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. May they step out and come in faith. Lord, for others who just need to come and pray for whatever reason, give them the courage to come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. And as the song is played, why don't you come and pray? The altars are open. Would you come? Step out right now and come. For whatever reason, would you come today? Once was more.